Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, which means it's time for Stuff You Should Know. Indeed. Shocking addition. See, I take the rap for a bad pun, but you, in fact, said that before we recorded. I know. I Before we recorded. Oh, so okay. I have a, a public image I have to carefully tend to. <laughs> gotcha. Um, Chuck. Yes. Have you ever seen or read or both One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Yes, both. Oh, yeah? Did you like the book more than the movie or vice versa? Both. book was great. I've seen the movie dozen times. Yeah. One of my faves. It is a great movie. Yeah. I haven't read the book, although I was a Ken Kesey fan. I thought he was a cool dude. Yeah, I've read a few of Um What else did he write? He did the, uh, well, actually, he didn't write. That was Tom Wolfe that wrote yeah. the Electrical Aid Estrip, but yeah. Kesey was figured prominently, obviously. Oh, yeah. He was the main character. Uh, Kesey wrote the, uh, oh, crap. I'll come back to it. Okay. He wrote the, um, what was it? The book. <laughs> well, if you haven't seen or read One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, you totally should. It is, like Chuck was saying, one of the best movies of all time. It is a great book, apparently. And um, one of the things that factors into it is set in a, an insane asylum in the 50s, I would say, maybe 60s. Um, and one of the, I guess, almost a character in this um movie or book is electroconvulsive therapy. Yes. Which the staff uses to basically keep the patients in check. Um, just the very threat of getting electroconvulsive therapy, shock treatment, a type of shock treatment, we should say, is enough to just keep everybody very docile and calm and settled down. When they start to get riled up, you can just ask them, do you want some shock treatment? And they're like, no, no, everything's good. Right. Everything's fine. And apparently, because of that, and Kesey worked as an orderly in a mental institution in Oregon. So he yeah. saw this firsthand when he wrote it. Sure. Um, because of that, ECT got a pretty bad rap over the course of a couple of decades, to the point where it's basically forced almost out of existence. Yeah. And it wasn't just Kesey um, making this stuff up. Like he said, he was a dis- he was a disorderly, like a, like the fat boys. <laughs> um but it, there was also a study in 1985 by the National Institutes of Health that found, like, that was pretty common practice among right. mental institutions at the time. Because it was drug-free. Yeah. It was just using electrical shock. And it wasn't a lobotomy. Right. And um, it was the effects were temporary. Yeah. And apparently it worked to keep everybody in line. But that's a, a gross abuse of this pretty effective therapy for mental illness yeah for severe depression and these days it is approved by the national institute of mental health the uh apa the ama and the u.s surgeon general and they all say that if used properly ect these days in a you know tweaked version of what they did back then right is can be very beneficial and kitty dukakis Wife of uh, Michael Dukakis, mm-hmm. former presidential nominee, mm-hmm. till he rode in a tank, yep. uh, wrote a book because she had it, and it's called "Shock: The Healing Powers of Electroconvulsive Therapy," and um, it helped her out. And I've, I've read excerpts and reviews and stuff, and she doesn't like champion it for everyone or anything, but gives a lot of like great history, and then says how it has helped her in her journey right. through depression. Apparently, it also helped Dick Cavett. Oh yeah, yeah. Interesting. It, it did not help so much um, Sylvia Plath or Ernest Hemingway. Right. 
Um, but yeah, it's been it's been used on a decent amount of people. Apparently, about a hundred thousand Americans a year undergo electroconvulsive therapy. Yeah. Six feet under. Who who got shot? George. The uh, James oh, Cromwell. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We've already spoiled that show, so we might. Right. <laughs> that we should just like do dramatic <laughs> readings from scripts. Uh, yeah. Um, so we, uh, we should also say before we go forward, it's very easy to call it electroshock therapy. Right. That's kind of right. Electroconvulsive therapy is a type of shock therapy. And shock therapies, the aim is to shock your system into having a convulsion. Because as far back as Hippocrates, it was noticed that it, people who have mental illnesses who experience convulsions tended to feel a little better. After the um, after they experience their seizures, yeah. So what you're trying to do with any kind of shock treatment is induce a seizure and a, a convulsion, because no one knows why still to this day, but it does something to your brain, yeah, and can cure whether temporarily or permanently um, mental illness. Yeah, I wonder how this. I never, I didn't think about it till just now. I wonder how it ties in with like. A temper tantrum, like a kid feeling better afterward or more settled <laughs> afterward, or an adult that just loses it, yeah. you know, and then, you know, I, th- I think everyone's truly lost it before in some emotional way, and then sure. afterward you're like, boy, I, I feel like more relaxed now. Right, like resetting after like a catharsis. Yeah. yeah. I bet you it's sort of similar pathways in the brain. Right, except this is with electricity. <laughs> exactly. So um, let's talk about the history of shock therapies and electroconvulsive therapy, or ECT, that's easier to say. So one thing that they did in the 20th century, um, they started to experiment with insulin shock where they would just dose the crud out of somebody with insulin and basically like bring them into a coma. And in the coma, they would have convulsions. Is that right? Yeah. Right. That was the point. Like they figured out this guy named Ladislaus von Maduna, who was a Hungarian physician. (laughs) Is that real? Yeah. He (laughs) figured out that if you take insulin and inject it in somebody, it puts them in a coma, temporary coma. Um, that you can bring them out of with uh, glucose. Right. And then while they're in the coma, they have seizures. And he was one of the ones, one, probably the first modern physician to suggest that there was a, a link between seizures. Yeah. Or, um, yeah, seizures and the curing of mental illness. Right. He took it one step too far in saying that schizophrenia and epilepsy were counterproductive maladies. Right. So if you had one, you couldn't have the other. Yeah, not true. He was wrong about that, but he was right about seizures having a, a, a curative effect on mental illness, though. Interesting. But he was the one who started championing, championing, uh, championing using insulin to produce seizures. So he led the way, followed by Italian scientists in the 1930s who finally brought electricity into it. Well, hold on. There was another guy, too. Oh, before the, the 1938 guys? Yeah. Th- like, right around the same time, there were all these competing shock therapies. Okay. Using, um, and there was the insulin guy, and then there was another dude um, named Manfred Sakel. And he was testing something called metrazole, which is a respiratory stimulant. Uh-huh. And when you give somebody this stuff, they have seizures. And it's very reliable, and it's very powerful, more uh-huh. powerful than insulin. And it requires less recuperation time and hospitalization time. The problem is it's so powerful that like 42% of patients who had um, shock therapy using metrazole suffer- suffered spinal fractures. Oh, wow. From Because the convulsions were so hardcore. Yeah, like the exorcist. Yeah, and then some. <laughs> now are we electricity? Yeah. In 1938, they discovered electricity. No, wait. 
That's not true. That was close. I think it was like <laughs> the 20s. Um, these Italians, they were scientists and they said, we can use this to jolt this guy, like, with these delusions. He's, he's clearly suffering. Let's shock him with electricity. And the delusions receded after, like, several treatments. And then just a few years later in the 1940s, it was being used as a regular treatment in the U.S. for mm-hmm. schizophrenia, depression, uh, bipolarism, um, but it's not like it is today. No, a they, far cry. They, you said they've tweaked it. They've definitely improved it. They yeah. figured it out. Like we were a little barbaric before. No anesthesia back then. Yeah, so you were wide awake and conscious when they applied an electro shock yeah. to your brain, like in Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, Vi- um, violent physical reactions with the body. Right. Uh, that don't happen these days. Like because, the convulsions were very powerful. Yeah, because A, there's anesthesia, and they also these days put um, muscle relaxers and stuff everywhere except the big the big foot. Is <laughs> well, there the, a big foot? They, the foot, a single foot. Well, when it has a blood pressure cuff on it, I'm sure it is the big foot of yeah. the two. <laughs> but yeah, they, they introduce it intravenously, and then they put a blood pressure cuff on your around your ankle. So your body isn't like convulsing anymore, but they can tell what's going on by... EEGs and stuff, and then the foot, single foot's movement. Yeah, because you're keeping the muscle relaxer and I guess the anesthesia out of the foot. Yeah, so someone's actually a doctor looking just at your foot. Supposedly, I haven't seen that anywhere else. I, I saw oh, really? that. Yeah, I saw that. Um, like they even with the um, muscle relaxants, your fists are going to clench and unclench, and your chest might heave. Yeah, and they'll still put a tongue. Uh, uh, thing in your mouth to keep you from biting your tongue off. Right, but the the, the cumulative effect of it is not going to be felt at all by you because you're out under general anesthesia and you're probably feeling pretty good. Anyway, yeah, that's you know, true. Thanks to Mr. Muscle Relaxer. And then the you know what the way you've always seen it on TV, even when they portray modern, like on Six Feet Under, they show people are always rendered this like zombies, like lobotomized essentially, right. and that's. That's not what's going on these days. No, well, even back then, it was kind of a caricature of what a person looked like right. coming out of it because there is memory loss associated with it. Yeah, yeah, and there still is. Yeah, there was then, there still is now. So I think that it's almost like that's what that's what some artist's rendering or some director's rendering of what somebody with memory loss looks like. Right. And so that's what just kind of got picked up in the popular culture following ECT is you're just like catatonic lobotomized zombie like yeah but really it's that's shorthand for it. there's weird memory loss yeah and these days are going to check you out a lot more beforehand i think um especially in the media portrayed it as you know some like a mcmurtry and one flew over the cuckoo's nest yeah he's causing problems so let's just drag him in there strap him down and shock him yeah uh these days you're gonna like five disorderlies <laughs> yeah, to hold him down exactly uh you're gonna go through a battery of pre-treatments um like blood tests, uh, electrocardiograms. They're going to give you a physical, they're going to give you a mental, and they're going to make sure you're a good fit all the way around for this kind of treatment. It's, you know, it's not as, I don't know if it was willy-nilly back then, but that's how it appeared to be at least. And there was, there's actually a decision um, by the FDA. It's a, a an electroconvulsive therapy machine. is a class three, I believe, yeah. device. Just the strictest. Right. And, classification. And so it was up for reclassification for a little while, and um, they said, you know what, we're going to stick with this classification because it's used for electroshocks. And a lot of people said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like that's old stuff. Yeah, you guys, this is, this is is you're still looking at it under this the, the medieval use from the 40s and 50s. Right. It, things have changed by then. But I have to say, I mean, it's I kind of am comforted by the fact that you still have to go to a doctor 
It's not like the same thing as going for, to, for like laser hair removal. Sure. Like you can't also get ECT in the same office. Like it's very much medicalized, and I think it should be because we still don't understand what the mechanisms are. Yeah, that's true. Um, they will pulse your brain. You know, you've got these little things about the size of a quarter, these pads on the side of yeah. your head, either on both sides or one side, and they pulse you with uh, for one millisecond, even though I think recently – even shorter, like millisecond, 0.25 to 0.37 milliseconds. Yeah, that's what they're, they're using starting to these use. Days. I guess that that's like, is it for more humane purposes or because well, it I, works better? I, yeah, I think they're finding that it works at least as well, but there's also fewer side effects. Like apparently, a one millisecond pulse of electricity is enough to like really interrupt memory, right? Consolidation, I guess. Whereas, like a quarter of a millisecond, it's not so bad. All right, and these days you're going to get it two to three times a week for three to four weeks is a typical treatment. Yeah, that's a course. Five or ten minutes at a time. Yeah, from the time that they inject you with the um, the anesthesia till the time you start to wake up is about ten minutes. Which, I mean, like that doesn't sound like much, but if you're doing that two to three times a week for several weeks, sure. I'll bet that's a, a period of your life that you have a lot of trouble remembering much of. I don't think it's a picnic still. No, because you, know? you, you are still coming out of it. You're still groggy. Yeah. Coming out of anesthesia, you can still be confused. What's ironic is now that they use anesthesia, you probably look more like the portrayal of people coming out, out of ECT in the 50s right. than they did back then. Because they were anesthetized? Yeah, they weren't. No, yeah, that's what I mean, though. Yeah. Today, that's funny. I didn't think about it like that. Um, I found one stat. Not funny. <laughs> well, <yeah>. monster. <laughs> I found one stat that said it uh, is effective in 75 to 80%. Of people these days with severe depression, whereas antidepressants are only um, effective about sixty percent of the time. Yeah, and that's what pretty much what they're using it for is just like major depression. Yeah, is is pretty much the thing that they found. Like, okay, it's really effective for this. Like when drugs don't work. <clears throat> well, that's usually when they're turning to it. Right. Um, is after antidepressant after antidepressant hasn't worked, but this is like a pretty significant rebound. A hundred thousand people. A year getting this and it, it coming under wide medical and public acceptance. Sure. Um, because just as, as recently in the 80s, there's a stat in this article that says uh, between 85 and 2002, the use of ECT in England dropped by half. Wow. And that was because there was a rise of antidepressants. It's like right, you sure. can take these pills or we can put electrodes on your brain. Yeah. And zap you. What do you want to do? Right. But then as people were, as physicians, I guess, were finding that there were plenty of people out there who don't respond well to um, antidepressants, shock therapy is a great alternative. And if you are if you suffer from major depression and you are um, suicidal yeah. or at risk for suicide, they may hop right to ECT because the results are so much faster. Huh. That makes sense. I know. Well, one of the interesting things uh, they pointed out, too, was that um, once you've had ECT, if drugs were not previously effective on you, then the antidepressants can extend the the good uh, the good effects of the ECT longer. Right, yeah. Which was interesting because, like, I guess it can work in concert if you go ECT first. Which makes it sound like, like the ECT goes in there and, like, shakes things loose. And then the drugs come in and, like, keep their functioning going, keep the, the new and improved yeah. functioning going. And we should say, like, all this is theory. We don't – no one knows right. specifically what 
ECT does to the brain, we, we just know it works. Then we should also say no one's exactly certain how antidepressants work right? or what effects they have on the brain. But there's a couple of theories um, that are kind of brain-based. One is that um, the the idea is that the electricity um, changes how blood flows yeah. or how cells metabolize things, and um, that leads to some sort of improved function. Yeah. The other one is uh, they think it might release certain chemicals that can help out. Um, and everything I've read sort of likens it to a like a control alt delete reset or like some yeah. sort of reset function right. on your brain. I think they likened it in here to turning the stereo down. Like there's just so much noise and this just sort of resets a troubled brain. Right. Yeah. There was a study in uh, from Scotland in 2012 where they did brain scans of people with major depression uh-huh. before ECT and after a round of ECT. And um, they found that these regions associated with mood and emotion um, were less active. Right. And so they, they said that they basically altered the functional connectivity of these regions between the regions so that the person could think more clearly, was less distracted, huh. and they think that that had an effect on reducing their depression. Well, and they tested with placebos too. And I think like anytime you test with a placebo, you're going to find that some there's going to be a little bit of it that works. But, yeah. you know, but not always. And that's what they found here is that some of the people that were told that they received ECT put under. Didn't you think this is kind of mean? Yeah. They would put them under and say they did it and not do it. Yeah. Um, that uh, the people with ECT did recover um, faster, but there were some that received the fake treatment that did recover as well. So uh, they think that might have just been because they received that extra TLC from a yeah. proper clinician. Yeah. And the free drugs. That's true. <laughs> so um, we should say there are risks to it. Like there's at least two types of memory loss associated with ECT. Um, one is you have trouble making memories around the appointment. Right. Um, which is to be expected. That usually fades. Um, then there's larger memory loss that of past events long before your ECT therapy. Yeah. Um but that also fades. Not in all people, though. So there is like memory loss associated with it. Right. With zapping the brain with electricity. Who who would have thought? Figure. Um, and then uh, you can also die. Um, one in ten thousand patients undergoing it dies. But they they say that that's one in how many? One in ten thousand. So every Ooh. year, ten people die from, from ECT in America. Wow. But they say that that's typically a reaction to or a result of anesthesia, like just going on. Oh, right. Yeah. Which yeah. is dangerous in and of itself. Uh, you're going to get headaches, obviously, and some muscle pain. But um, I don't I don't think it's anything quite like the old days as far as muscle pain and stuff like that. Yeah. And you will still find people that poo-poo it, of course. But this article points out a lot of those people are the same people that are pretty anti-psychiatry in general and stuff like this. So. Uh, that seems like a bit of a leap to me. What? From the author to say that. Yeah. At least she wasn't just like Scientologists <laughs> hate it. True. Um, you got anything else? I got nothing else. Let's go try this out. <laughs> I, I, I would certainly try it out if I needed it. Okay. Yeah, I would too. You know? But there's something appealing to me about using electricity over drugs. Yeah. Like you know? Drugs are some great thing to pump your body full of yeah it's just i, I don't know I, I i wonder if it's going to become more and more widespread and, you know yeah 
And if it comes back gangbusters, man, that's really going to be impressive because it was almost gone. Yeah, true. You know? Imagine if the lobotomy came back. I yeah. mean, I know it's still around, but right. it's not back but not by the, any means. Sure. You know, ECT is back, baby. <laughs> Maybe a little bloodletting, a little leeching. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, if you want to learn more about electroconvulsive therapy, type that word in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. Let's see if you can do it on the first try. And since I said search bar, um, I guess it's time for message break. And now listen to me. Yes, and I'm going to call this misheard song lyrics. Um, oh, yeah. I can't remember which one we asked Panama about Canal. Was Panama? that it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, everyone has misheard sound lyrics. Excuse me while I kiss the sky. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix, wrapped up like a douche. Yeah. Manfred Mann. That's not what he's saying. No, uh, wrapped up like a deuce. Like a uh, he's talking about craps. Is he? Craps or some other sort of gambling? I don't think so. Because Springsteen wrote the song and it was cut loose like a deuce, and he's talking about a car engine. I've heard gambling. <laughs> the Springsteen wrote it. Okay. And then Manfred Mann changed it. And it's funny, Springsteen has come out and said, you know, that song didn't become popular until it became about feminine hygiene. <laughs> and then it was like a big deal. Yeah. Or there's a bathroom on the right, CCR, instead of a bad moon. Bad oh, moon rising. Yeah, I hadn't heard that one. There's a bathroom. No, no I, I know the song, but I mean, like, I've never heard anybody thinking he's saying there's a bathroom on the right. It's fairly common. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we got one from uh, Cheryl. Uh, hey, guys, first of all, I want to say you're still keeping me company on days when I get time to work on my art projects. You're still as great as ever. Uh, I was just listening to Panama Canal, and I thought I'd pop you a quick note to give you a grin. Uh, misinterpreted lyrics were my specialty as a kid. Far and away, my most famous moment was when I was five or six listening to Madonna with my auntie, and I would sing, Papa Dom Bridge, I'm in trouble deep. She said, thing is, this really made sense to me. And logic, uh, logically, if a bridge is made out of papadoms, which are, do you know what those are? Sort of like a, like a flatbread, like a crispy tortilla, sort of. No. It's like a crispy flatbread. Gotcha. Uh, so if a bridge was made out of papadoms, it would be uh, bound to be weak. And if someone were to walk over it, they would it would break, and they'd fall in the river below and hence be in trouble deep. Yeah. And my dad still teases me about that to this day. It does make sense in a certain so, childish uh, way. Yeah, Cheryl, Papa Don Bridge, well done. That's funny. Yumi's mom, uh, she's from Okinawa, she calls Madonna Papa Don't Preach. Oh, calls her that? Yeah. That's her name? She's like, are you listening to Papa Don't Preach again? <laughs> <laughs> my friend uh, Fox had the best misheard song lyric ever, and I was racking my brain earlier trying to remember it, and I cannot. Yeah. So, There's some good ones out there. I'll try and uh, I'll try and remember and post it or something. I'll get in touch with Fox. Okay, it was a funny one. Nice. You got any good ones? I'm like racking my brain right now, and I know I've got one, and I can't remember it. Do you have one, Jerry? Jerry looks like she does. What Would is like Jerry? <laughs> Jerry just said, if you did not hear, instead of voices scary by uh, Till Tuesday, Amy Man, Amy Till Man. Tuesday, horses scare me. Hush, Shush. hush, keep it down. Horses scare me. Don't, don't attract any horses because they scare me. Do you know that technically uh, Till Tuesday was the first band I ever saw live? Oh, really? At my first concert, Hall & Oates, yeah. at the uh, University of Toledo Coliseum. They opened up, huh? Uh, yeah, Till Tuesday opened up. Nice. 
Boy, I never really thought about that because I always say, oh, my first concert was Cheap Trick. Yeah. I don't say it was John Waite who opened up for Cheap Trick. Was it really John Waite? Yeah. Man, I would have loved to have seen that one. And those those are real concerts. Like I went to Kenny Rogers and stuff when I was a kid. And people are like, Kenny Rogers is real. Yeah. It is. but about to say the same thing. I meant concerts that my family didn't drag me to. Gotcha. Uh, that I paid my own money for. And I gotcha. Like, where I smelled marijuana for the first time. <laughs> Like a real concert. I didn't smell any marijuana at the Hall & Oates concert. Well, I did a cheap trick. I was like, what is that? I'm sure. I've never smelled that before in my life. Yeah. Man. Cheap trick. And everyone around me said, that is the devil's smell. Stay away. Yeah. And you did. Good. Good going, Chuckers. Uh, is that it? That is it. Thanks to Cheryl for um, kicking off a pretty great little chat. You should get Yumi's mom to call her Papa Don Bridge now. Yeah. See if you can get that done. Hey, listening to Papa Don Bridge? Yeah. Say, that's not Papa Don Bridge. That's Papa Don Bridge. Uh, what What do you want? Oh, if you have any great marriage stories, we want to hear them. We haven't asked for that ever, have we? Yeah, and I don't mean wedding day fun. I mean marriage. I would take wedding day fun. Those are two different things. All right. Well, whatever you want to send Either related way. to marriage, yeah. um, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can uh, join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. Uh, you can send us an email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. And as always, go check out our awesome website, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. This episode of Stuff You Should Know is brought to you by jackthreads.com.